Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 225, Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. The number one guy versus the number two guy. It's not often you see that in title fights in modern-day UFC. Yeah, that first fight was such a great fight. I mean, Rob had to come back from getting his leg messed up in the first two rounds and came back and won the last three rounds against Yoel, who is the guy that generally gets better as the fight, uh, you know, gets into the late stages. So that was super impressive. And, I mean, the card in just itself is uh, really good from top to bottom. Yeah, Colby versus RDA, the people's main event. That's the people's main event. I mean, you know, we're going to see what's up. We're going to see if it really is Nerd Bash 2018. And, you know, RDA gets the chance to defend his uh, home country. He gets the chance to also become the first Brazilian welterweight champion and it's gonna be interesting if colby wins uh there might be a massive silence on social media if rda <laughs> wins a lot of people are gonna be like oh, i told you so so it's gonna be uh very intriguing to see what goes down with that obviously we're gonna talk the whole card we got a very special guest coming up here in about 10 15 minutes and uh shack you know just a recap you know for those that didn't check out our recap show our max bet on jody escal at plus 145 was canceled an hour before the event last time, and, you know, it is what it is. Now we move on to this weekend's event, UFC 225, but, you know, I heard the officials heard the latest episode of Half the Battle, and they knew that Aguilar had zero business in that cage, and they didn't clear her an hour before the contest, Shaq. Yeah, it's unfortunate that she had that little weight-cutting herpes, but, you know, they'll run it back in a few weeks, and uh, we'll see what she really... Let's see Let's see where she uh, wants to hide that. Yeah, exactly. So... You know, first up, man, let's uh let's let's do this whole car start to finish and uh first up in the featherweight division, we got Dan Ige, he's minus one thirty five. The comeback on Mike Santiago is plus one fifteen. Now both these guys had very impressive performances on Dana White Tuesday night contender, but then they come into the UFC and it hasn't quite materialized. So who do you think is gonna get their first UFC win? Yeah, you know, Ige got off to a bad start in that Arce fight, and turns out that Arce is probably one of the top prospects at 145 right now, and you know, I mean, the second, you know, Arce really touched him, I mean, he pretty much shut down and got uh, handled everywhere in every aspect of the game. Now, Santiago, he's had, uh, we've saw him three times, you know, on the contender series against Cherico. You know, Cherico's really a coach. I don't think he's really, you know, 100% in fighting, and then we got... Uh, his fight was a beat, which is, you know, understandable. And then his fight with Mads Brunel, who's a young kid. But the thing is, Santiago's got, like, almost 40 fights, maybe even over 40 fights. He's been a pro since he's 18. I mean, this guy's been fighting a long time, and he's losing to these young kids now. Ige, uh, I think we're going to see a, a better version of him here. I think, uh, you know... It was under the bright lights, and it turns out Arce is really good, man. I like Ige in this spot. I think Santiago continuously finds himself in bad positions, and I think uh, Ige will be able to, you know, take his bag and edge out the rounds. I think it will go three rounds. I think Santiago's a better puncher, but I think uh, Ige's stall tactics will be on point, and he'll be able to, you know, out-position him for a decision. Yeah, firstly, both these guys had very impressive performances on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. Obviously, you saw Mike Santiago go out there and knock out Mark Cherico. And with Dan Ige, he beat this kid, Luis Gomez, who I'm very high on, who's a guy you got to keep your eyes out for. And, man, they both made their UFC debuts. And Mike Santiago, look, he took on Zabit. You can give him a pass for taking an L there. And then he took on Mads Brunel, who missed weight by five pounds. It's like, you know, Mads cheated and he found a way to win. Now he gets the chance to take on Dan Ige, and with Ige, you saw his UFC debut against Julio Arce. Now Arce is this great prospect, and you know it was kind of even for the first uh, three minutes, and then Ige got caught with one shot, and he kind of went straight into autopilot mode. He didn't know where he was, and he just got teed off on for the remainder of the fight. I don't know if that's an indicator of things to come, or that's simply credit due to Julio Arce being that good, but I didn't like that, man. At least Mike Santiago has been competitive in, the, in his UFC fight, so I think Mike, Mike Santiago actually gets it done here, man. I'm going to take him as the dog in this spot. Now, next up, 
Also, actually, no, this is the lightweight division because both these guys moved up. We got Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He's minus 155. The comeback on clear the Carpenter Guido is plus 135. Now, you know Guido's from Chicago. They buried him second fight of the night. Who you got in this one? Yeah, you know, Charles, we know the deal with Charles. He's one of the most, you know, gifted offensive BJJ guys out there. But, I mean, the guy's a quitter. And, I mean, if you can survive his BJJ, uh, his little jiu-jitsu storm, he'll quit. I mean, and that's just facts. Uh, the Cub fight, uh... The Max fight. The Max fight, the Cerrone fight. Felder the, fight. Felder Jim fight, Miller. The Jim Miller fight. Uh, I mean, Cub Swanson. Ricardo Lamas. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just uh, and that's just facts. You know, Guida's actually been submitted yeah, nine times. And so, I mean, his history on the mat is not good. So, you know, ideally you're thinking of Charles. Will ever uh, get somebody in that jiu-jitsu storm, it would be Clay Guida. But the thing is... The fight's 15 minutes long. There's no guarantee that Charles is going to be able to do that. Guida's going to know what he has to do to uh, stay out of that. Let's see if he does. I got Guida. I like the underdog in the spot, especially against a quitter like Charles. But, you know, can you rely on a guy that's been sub nine times? We saw that Tiago Tavares fight. We saw the Dennis Bermudez fight. But I like Guida here. I think at some point he will land a, a jab overhand right, and I think Charles will just take a knee and quit. You know, in the second round, I think uh, Charles ain't made for those late rounds. Man, that Felder fight, that was, you know, it's funny because every time he fights, I say, man, that's one of the biggest quit jobs I've ever seen, like the Max Holloway fight. I that, say that quite a bit. And, and, then I, and then I say that about the Felder fight, too, and then I say that about the Cub Swanson fight. I'm like, man, this guy keeps topping himself every single time he goes out there, and Clay Guida is definitely, you know, he's known for uh, stifling jujitsu guys. I mean, that's one of the things that people used to hype him up for. I mean, I know you remember when he uh, when he beat Rafael Dos Anjos via submission. So, you know, he also beat Anthony Pettis. He also beat Nathan Diaz. My boy Clay Guida's got a resume on him. But one thing you mentioned, Shaq, is he's been submitted nine times. And uh, if there's anyone that, you know, you could say is a master of offensive submissions, because there's no defense submissions, right? But look, <laughs> if there's someone that uh, is really good at finishing fights with subs, it's definitely Charles Oliveira. So the story, anytime Charles fights, it's sub or bust. So you got to pick one. Is it sub or is it going to be bust? I mean, on his best day, he can finish Darren Elkins. On his best day, he can win a decision Miles against Jury. Jeremy Stevens. He can finish Miles Jury. He can do all these things. But on his worst day, I mean, he'll headline a card against Max Holloway. First body shot, he'll be like, oh, my esophagus hurts. And then two days later, they say he's completely fine. So I, I really don't know. I could see this going down like the Tiago Tavares fight where Clea Guida shoots in head first and gets caught with a guillotine. So I'm going to go with sub. I think Charles Dubronx gets him out of there. But if this hits the scorecards, if uh, Charles does not get a sub, Guida will break him. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Joseph Benavidez. He's minus 260. The comeback on Sergio Pettis is plus 220. Now, man, my boy Sergio really let me down his last fight. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, his teammate Chico Camus stuffed the takedowns better against Cejudo than Sergio did. But, uh, you know, we thought uh, Cejudo was going to come out with that karate stance that he fought with Hayes, and uh, he wanted none of that. He wanted to hump the leg. Props to him. He got the decision win. Now, now Sergio's taking on Joseph. Who you got? Yeah, you know, it turns like the the Pettis bros are like the Diaz bros. You know how the Diaz bros don't check low kicks? The Pettis bros can be tied up and wrestled, man. So, Pettis bros don't <laughs> stuff takedowns? The Pettis bros don't stuff takedowns. But, uh, you know, Benavidez is a long layoff coming off that ACL. You know, uh, towards the end of his little run, like his fights with uh, Moraga, Ali, Mikowski, I did notice a little bit of a decline, but at the end of the day, the guy was still getting his hand raised decisively. So, I mean, you know, the guy's 25-4. and four. He's only lost to two people. You know, arguably the greatest fight. What they say is the greatest fighter on uh, on planet. I don't know who those two people are. <laughs> uh, my boy Dominic Cruz. You know, the the greatest bantamweight of all time, and then the greatest flyweight of all time. So, you know, Benavidez has had a great career, man. Uh, I'm not sure if Pettis is ready to stuff these takedowns. I think Benavidez is coming to wrestle. Benavidez is a good weasel. I think Sergio has an advantage out in space. 
But we know Benavidez ain't looking to do that here. Yeah, I think there's value on Serge to see if he can stuff the takedown, but there's no guarantee because he's been taken down by Moraga. He's been taken down by Carriazzo. He's been taken down Morena. by, by Morena <laughs> multiple times. You know what I'm saying? And we know that Joseph Benavidez is very efficient at stealing rounds at the end at the end of the rounds, you know what I'm saying? He's a very smart fighter. He's 25 and 4. So, for those reasons, I got to go with Joseph Benavidez uh by 29-28 decision. I think, you know, it'll be 1-1 going into the third round, but Sergio will just get out position slightly. You know, my boy Joseph Benavidez isn't just a winner inside that octagon. He's a winner in life. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, the dude, uh, <laughs> firstly, his only losses are to Demetrius Johnson and, and Dominic Cruz. He's got one of the best MMA resumes we've ever seen. He's got a pretty damn hot wife. The dude's just winning at life. So much respect to my boy Joseph Benavidez and Sergio Pettis. Look, this fight stays standing. If he can somehow keep this on the feet, he'll beat Joseph Benavidez. He's a much better striker. He's got cleaner counters and... Uh, Sergio's got one of the best point fighting games in the biz, but the issue here is, uh, do we have any proof that Sergio can get up off his back? Any whatsoever. Someone here listening, let me know. Do we have any proof that Sergio can get up off his back if he is taken down? Because uh, when he gets taken down, he's been taken down his last four fights, by the way, Shaq. He doesn't seem to get back up, man, and it's super frustrating because the kid's so fucking good standing. It's like, man, if you could just fix that one part of your game. Sounds like his big bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not going to talk about his big bro, like, a few years ago. <laughs> uh, his big bro, Pre-Usada? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, look, man, if my boy Sergio could just get that one part of his game down, he could be a fucking world beater. But, you know, he's got that flaw, and certain people have certain flaws. Alistair Overeem can't take a punch. Sergio Pettis can't stuff a takedown. So, it is what it is, man. Uh, Sarah McMahon can't win a fight in the second round. Sarah McMahon can't <laughs> help herself but not quit if a fight goes past the first. So... <laughs> I really, uh, you know, it just comes down to, is Joseph going to wrestle him or not? Joseph wrestles, he wins this fight. If Joseph tries to test the stand-up, I think he gets picked apart. So, you know, I think the price is right. I think the value is on the dog. But Serge probably can't get up from takedown, so Serge <laughs> is probably going to lose a decision. But if my boy Serge keeps it standing, he'll definitely pick apart Joseph. It's just there's no guarantee that he does that. Yeah. You know, biggest it's a question mark. It's like a coin flip. So I'm going to go with Benavides. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Anthony Lionheart Smith. He's minus 310. The comeback on Sugar Rashad Evans is plus 255. Now, it's pretty funny seeing that red arrow next to Rashad Evans' number because um, action has been coming in on uh, my boy Sugar. And, man, it's just sad at this point. You know, much respect to Sugar. Uh, love that guy. Beat Chuck Liddell, beat Bisbing, beat Forrest, beat Rampage. Did all these things. Beat Tiago Silva. The guy's the man. Phil Davis, Chael Sonnen. What a resume. But, uh, you know, when it's over, it's over, Shaq. My boy Rashad, man, he, you know, my boy Rashad uh, is a legend, man. You know, he's done everything in his career. And, uh, you know, back in the days when he had the mansion and, he, you know, when he was champ, Rashad was the man. He still is the man. But, man, it's time to hang him up, man. His hoorah was that Bader fight. Everyone go back and watch that promo to the Bader fight. I mean, Bader was saying it, what, how, how long ago? Three, four years ago? He was like, Rashad's got a foot out the door. He wants to work at Fox Sports. You know what I'm saying? He, his, uh, he's showing up for a paycheck. And, I mean, Guys, go look at Rashad Evans' show money. I think he's a he's a, a legend, but I mean, he's losing decisions to Sam Alvey. What happened in that Bader fight? He got completely destroyed. I mean, Bader outclassed him in every aspect of the game. Took him down even. Then the Glover fight. Then you get uh, out hustled by a forty-one year old on one leg, and then uh, <laughs> we saw his last fight with Alvey. So you know, man, I just think it's consistent decline. I don't think the guy has any con uh, confidence in himself. I think he's having an inner battle with himself. Now Anthony Smith, he's a guy that's moving up fifteen pounds in this fight. Uh, and you know, a Anthony Smith, you know, he's a 
he gets better as the fight goes on. You know, he has been taken down a lot. And, you know, that's uh, against guys that are, in my opinion, just operating at a different frequency. Even though those guys don't have the name as Rashad, those guys are actually out there, you know, athletic. Like, even though Andrew Sanchez is a jobber, he's still athletically, you know what I'm saying, a real fighter. Rashad doesn't, isn't capable of capable of. All I got to say is my head and Mutachi would smoke Rashad, too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just those guys are operating at a very different frequency right now. So I'm going to take Anthony Smith, whether it's an early stoppage, if he just crushes him, or even if Rashad does show up a little bit, I just don't think Rashad can escape 15 minutes without getting cracked on the chin by this guy. I think the 20 pounds is going to get him off to a better start, and I think uh, Anthony Smith uh, knocks him out. So it's pretty funny. Just go watch the promo of the Rashad and Glover fight, because Glover, I mean, Rashad basically lays it out for you, exactly what we're thinking. He says... He says, Glover thinks I'm washed up. Glover thinks I don't have it anymore. Glover thinks I'm this and that. It's like, bro. And then he gets knocked out in under two minutes. It's like, Glover was right. So now, you know, fast forward four more losses since that point. It's like, Rashad, man. You know, I, I watched the interview with him, and he says, you know, he's fighting for a different reason. He has a different why now. And we know exactly what that why is. That why used to be the UFC world title. That why now is uh, that 150K paycheck. You know, you, that child support ain't cheap, Shaq. You know, when you got three baby mamas, uh, the shit ain't cheap. So shout out to my boy Rashad, you know, still putting food on the table for his family, 150K to show. I hope he doesn't get seriously hurt. But unfortunately for him, you know, Anthony Smith is a slow starter. But once he starts to find his range, man, he's super long. For the weight class, he was super long. In middleweight, he's going to be super long at light heavyweight as well. The knees, the elbows, the tie clinch, uh, the straight punches, man, uh, the head kicks. He's going to fuck Rashad up. So Rashad needs to not get caught for three straight rounds to win this fight. I don't see that happening. I see Rashad going down. I, I got Anthony Smith via knockout. And Shaka, we got to call up our very special guest. And joining us now, this is a man that's had 20 professional fights and won 17 of them. He holds the record for the fastest submission in featherweight history. Record for the fastest consecutive wins in UFC history. And he's on the cusp of breaking the record for the most submissions in featherweight history. I'm talking about UFC featherweight Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. Chaz, welcome back to Half the Battle. What's up, man? Thanks a lot. Good to be here. Man, it's great to have you back on. So, first up, man, we got this heavyweight matchup between Rashad Coulter. He's minus 185. The comeback on Krista LaRocca is plus 160. Now, it's interesting because when I first saw this fight on paper, I was like, man, why are they opening the televised prelims with it? But then you watch the tape, you understand why. It's going to be one of those fun, sloppy, heavyweight affairs. Uh, both these guys need their first UFC win really badly. Who are you going with in this matchup, Chaz? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm going to go with Krista uh, LaRocca. I just feel like he, he has the cruiser combinations on his feet, to be honest. I, I feel like he moves from the body to the head really well. And uh, he also has pretty decent takedowns, actually, for a heavyweight. If you look at his, I mean, uh, if you look at some of his past fights, he, he is able to get people to the ground. He's actually able to ride people on top. I, I don't think that uh, Rashad really has much in the way of takedown defense. And I also have noticed that Rashad gasses pretty hard, and that's without wrestling changes. I mean, his gas is pretty hard. And his first two UFC fights, and they were all striking, and he's a striker. So once you throw wrestling in the mix, I feel like he gets grinded out a little bit, he gasses out, and then uh, he starts getting tagged. Well, Shaq, look, someone's always got to go, just like the CM Punk fight. And when I'm talking about that, oh, I'm talking about the win column. You know, someone's got to get their first UFC win. You think it's going to be Rashad Coulter or Chris Roca? Yeah, I think he made some good points. You know, I think, you know, Rashad's best bet is to land a big overhand right and just hope that De La Roca goes down. But I think what separates him is the toughness. I just think De La Roca's tougher, and I think he's a little more willing to do more things to get the win. You know what I'm saying? And his Milstead fight, even though he's getting cracked, 
at times where, you know, in cases maybe Coulter would just shy away and, you know, uh, and take the L, you know, De La Roca was coming back and still trying to fight. I think he's just a little tougher. But, you know, Coulter could land the one punch, but I, I like De La Roca. I think he uh, makes him break. You know, I actually thought this fight should have been closer to a pick You know, I don't know how you can have that much confidence in Rashad Coulter as a minus-185 favorite. And not to mention, I actually thought he looked better in his UFC debut against Chase Sherman than he did in his sophomore appearance against Tai Tuivasa. He had a lot more fight in him in that first one. It might have taken its toll. You know, he got his first 50K bonus. He's never experienced anything like that in his life. He came back. He wasn't, uh, it didn't look that good. And with Chris De La Roca, it was the opposite. He actually looked like shit that debut. Came back that second appearance. I thought it was an early stoppage against Adam Milstead. I think you guys make good points about how he strings his combinations together so i'm gonna agree i'm gonna go with chris de la roca for the upset now next up in the featherweight division we got mirsad bektik he's minus 250 the comeback on ricardo lamas is plus 210 now Shaq, this is a very intriguing matchup man i mean mirsad bektik uh officially he's only lost one ufc fight but between you and me we actually are on the line with the other guy that he got knocked out by but that being said man i mean who you got in this matchup yeah, you know, Mursad, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that he's never faced this level of competition, <clears throat> but I just think that's because of the name. You know, we hear the name Ricardo Lamas, and, you know, we think a top five guy, a perennial top five guy, and he has been for the majority of his career, but I don't think he's performing like that uh, lately. You know, his fight with Diego Sanchez, I mean, they were kind of going back and forth those first two rounds besides the uh, calf kicks. <clears throat> And then, uh, you know, Mursad, I think he's fought at some high levels. I think the fight with him and Chaz for a debut, I mean, that was a high-level fight for, for two guys that were both making their debut. And, I mean, that fight went everywhere, man. That game, that fight, that type of fight, uh, you know, gets you a lot of experience. So I think Mursad's very uh, well-prepared for this fight. He's training at TriStar now. You know, at ATT, I feel like he kind of didn't really have any structure. He was shooting takedowns unnecessarily and, you know, getting himself into trouble in the Elkins fight. And still, he was still out-muscling Elkins in that third round. So I think uh, he's going to have his best best performance here. I think at TriStar, he's going to be a lot more patient, actually have a real game plan. And uh, we know the deal with Lamas. He's been knocked out, what, three, four times? So I think, uh, you know, eventually a home for that straight right left hook will land but i think uh if he wants to wrestle with lamas he can as well Chaz, uh, you made your ufc debut against mirsad bektik and it was actually before the rule change you know between you and me we know you knocked him out. Anyone that's listening to Half the Battle knows we talk about that every time we break down a Mirsad fight. And even Mike Goldberg was like, it's all over. But, you know, back then you could play the whole uh, the whole playing the game thing. So what's your opinion on this matchup now that he gets a step up against Ricardo Lamas? Uh, to be honest with you, I feel like, I feel like Mirsad has really cleaned a lot of things up in his game since then. You know, I feel like uh, here's my only thing with Mirsad that I, I think he's a world beater. I think he's a got great cardio, I think he's got great boxing, and he has, you know, in our fight, I really underestimated his wrestling, and I didn't realize how good of a wrestler he was, he has outstanding wrestling, he doesn't like to get hit, and you can see it in his face when he gets hit, you can see it in his face in his fight, and that's the reason that he shoots for takedowns unnecessarily, and in his pat, in the last the last fight that you saw him on a tri-star, he didn't have to shoot for any unnecessary shots, he, he never got hit. I think that Ricardo Lamas is going to hit him. And I think that he is going to shoot some unnecessary takedowns. But I also think that he's going to get a couple of those takedowns. And when he gets on top, I don't think Lamas is going to be able to get up from the bottom. I do think it's going to be a decision. I do think it's going to be a close fight. But I think Mirsad's going to squeak it out with those takedowns. Um, and, but but I, I do think he's going to start looking for the takedowns early after he gets hit. Just watch. I promise you. As soon as he gets hit by Lamas, he starts shooting takedowns. As soon as he gets hit. 
But I still think he gets the takedowns. I still think he wins the decision. Man, it's going to be interesting because, look, Mirsad said if the Elkins fight never happened, he would have never ended up at TriStar. And now, you know, he felt like at ATT, you know, he had a five-year contract. He was kind of riding it out. He feels like being under, you know, Faraz and GSP is the best thing that ever happened to him. I don't know if you see how these guys at TriStar have been looking lately, but uh, their uh, dietary supplement plan has been working out very well. Now you got a guy like Mirsad on that. And uh, I think the sky could be the limit for a kid like that because, you know, one of the themes we've been talking about is how he shoots all those unnecessary takedowns. But now you got GSP and Faraz guiding you the right way and letting you know, hey, kid, you're doing perfectly fine on the feet. Just shoot the takedown at the end of the round, steal it. I think he's going to get a lot more confidence. You saw his fight with Pepe. I know it's Pepe, but still, he didn't shoot any takedowns in that fight. He stayed a lot calmer than he was in the Elkins fight. So, and we also got to take into consideration he's only 26, 27 years old. He's just a kid. So I expect a guy like mm-hmm. that to make huge improvements every single time out. And Ricardo Lamas, I mean, obviously he's a badass. He's been a perennial top five guy for like the last five, ten years. Uh, the calf kicks are on point. Very well-rounded guy. I feel like on the feet, he's more of a flashy guy. You know, throws a lot of spinning techniques. And uh, he's a very opportunistic finisher. Like you shoot in with your head on the outside, he's going to snatch that guillotine. It just comes down to... Uh, Mirsad basically not getting caught. If Mirsad doesn't get caught, I think he wins this fight. So it opened minus 175. I thought that was a bit low. I think this minus 250 is a little bit more accurate. So I got Mirsad Bektik for the win. Now next up in the women's strawweight division, we got Claudia Gadelia. She's minus 600. The comeback on Carlos Esparza is plus 450. Now, uh, Chaz, it, it's interesting, man, because uh, I actually thought it was going to be lined a little bit closer. Uh, I'm not used to seeing a plus 450 next to Carlos Esparza's name. Uh, you have an opinion on this one? Yeah, you know, women's fight, women fights are always hard to always hard to judge. I think it's a trap bet. I say don't fall for it. Um, I think Dahlia is just a little too strong. She's a little too physical, and uh, I think she gets the job done. I, I really don't. You know, I think uh, as long as it has a little more polished wrestling, um, but I think Dahlia's got a little better strength. I think she's I think she's a lot stronger, a lot more physical. I see her winning. I see her weighing a decision, and I think it's a trap bet. Shaq, it's interesting because uh, Claudia Gadelia, the one thing she's been criticized for in the past is she comes out super hard that first round, sometimes gasses out in the second and third. You think if that were the case here, that Carla could capitalize and get takedowns in the second and third round? Yeah, you know, I think Adelio's had the same flaw since day one, and I don't, th- I don't think she's really fixed it, man. I think uh, she always does that, you know, in her fight with Andrade, she just, you know, attributed it to that uh, Andrade is like this, as strong as a 125-pound guy, but the real issue was that she blew her gas uh, her gas tank again, so <clears throat> I, I agree with Chaz, though. I just think she's going to be a little bit too physical. I think Esparza, you know, is a tough girl, but I mean, I just think physically she's super outmatched here. I think when they tie up, I, I just think it's going to be a difference. I think uh, Ca- uh, Claudia will be able to just, you know, ed- not edge out a decision, but just go three rounds uh, at her own pace. I think to really beat her, you got to make her fight uh, to a point where she empties out that gas tank. Yeah, I think one of the things that we often forget about Claudia, she's actually a pretty high-level black belt in, in jiu-jitsu, man. She's no slouch at all. And with Carla, we have seen her getting bad spots in the past. I know you remember that plus 240 dog cash on Randa Marcos. And Randa had her in a crucifix, mm-hmm. was landing huge elbows on her. So, you know, Claudia, she's the more physical fighter, like both you guys mentioned. Uh, she's the better fighter. She's the rightful favorite. I think plus 450 is a bit of a stretch, but you make a good point, Chaz. It might be a trap fight, and, you know, there's no value in a losing bet. So, yeah, uh, I'm probably going to go with the favorite here as well. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Curtis Blades. He's minus 170. The comeback on Alistair Overeem is plus 150. Now, Shaq, it's interesting because 
Curtis Blades, he's moving his way up that, that ladder really, really quickly. I mean, you know, he's fighting the Omelanchuks, then he fights the Mark Hunts, now he's fighting the Alistair <clears throat> Overeems. He gets this win. Uh, he's a top-five guy. And uh, Overeem, we saw what happened in his last fight with Ngannou, but th- he's been knocked out 100 times, so he's always came back and won his next fight. So you think he comes back and wins this one too? Man, Curtis Blades, I'm really high on this guy. I liked his performance against Mark Hunt. I think uh, people say he's got a bad chin. I think he's got a really good chin. Now, I know he's been dropped by Cody East twice. I know he's been dropped by uh, Mark Hunt. Um, I mean, he ate the Francis Ngannou shots completely fine, though. He's only the few people that actually stayed conscious during that. So, you know, I think his wrestling's as good as it gets in the heavyweight division. The thing with Alistair Overeem, his takedown defense is super on point. And we know if you're shooting, you know, telegraph shots against Overeem, you could be eating a knee, you know, coming in. So, you know, do I have the utmost confidence that Curtis can strike with Overeem? But at the same time, how many times has Overeem been knocked out? We just saw the last one. So I could see Curtis Blades, you know, faking low, coming up high and catching him with the shot. So I am going to take Curtis Blades in this fight. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Overeem pulled this off. I'm not sure if Curtis is ready for this yet. But uh, Overeem, man, the way he uh, looked against Francis was kind of alarming, man. Uh, he kind of showed up, like, super scared, man. And uh, I just think it's Blades' time now. Chaz, it's interesting, man, because with these heavyweights, it seems like they got nine lives. And, you know, they get brutally knocked out. You count them out. Then they come back and they win their very next fight. And with Blades, it's interesting because he's one of the only heavyweights on the roster that's still in his 20s. He's just a kid. So, you know, if he took a step back here, he could for sure bounce back. It's a must win for Overeem. Uh, which way are you leaning? Okay. So I saw the film on this. You know, this is a fight that I was really interested in because I'm also – Super high on Blades. I really like the guy's style. I like him as a person. I think he's a super solid dude. Um, the MO on Overeem has always been his work ethic. Has always been that he's uh, pretty lazy. He's always been a super great athlete, a really great striker. Good. He has a good ground game. But his work ethic has always been a problem in his camps. Uh, I've heard it from multiple people who have worked for him. Well, so... You've seen him come out hard and gas hard in fights, a la like Travis Brown. You only have him hurt. He went for the finish real hard, and then he he seemed just unbearably tired after that. Well, in my opinion, I've got Blaze. I've got Blaze winning it probably by third-round TKO. I think what's going to happen is uh, Blaze is going to come out, and he has to keep the pressure on. He has to make him wrestle. He has to keep the pressure on him, and he has to change the pace of the fight because Overeem comes out, watches past fights, watches fight against, like, say, Verdum, for instance. Verdum didn't make him change the pace of the fight. Overeem can go at that really slow striking pace for five rounds if he has to. And even in that fight, he gets out in the third round. Overeem started catching him with punches, catched, caught him with the knee, and dominated him in the third round. And that was a very slow-paced fight, and he still got tired going in the third I think Blades possibly gets caught in the first. Five battles back, doesn't get knocked out. Overeem exerts a little bit of energy. Blades continues to grind and grind and grind. And I think Overeem gasses out so hard that Blades finishes him in the third. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. You remember what happened that third round of the We're Doom fight. Oh, Bigfoot fight as well, right? So. Yeah, it's not he's, a... He's known, he's known for doing that. <laughs> you know, the thing with Blades, man, he's getting better every single fight, and he's got a fucking steel chin. I mean, you saw that fight with Mark Hunt. When guys get hit with that shot, they don't often just uh, pop back up like it was nothing. Not only did he pop back up, he ended up taking him down a million times and winning the fight in Australia. So, 
Curtis Blades, and that's got that's the kind of performance there when you beat a guy like Mark Hunt. That's got to increase your confidence and let you know that hey, I do belong at this level. And Overeem, uh, super uh, inconsistent. You know, when he wins fights, he looks like a world beater, but when he gets touched on that chin, man, uh, you know, <laughs> it's good night, Irene. So, I mean, I gotta lean with Blades here just because, you know. Where's Overeem's mindset at? Because you know, there's only so many times you can make that climb over and over and over again. And uh, I really feel like the Enganu fight might have been that nail in the coffin. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised if Blades went out there and knocked him out. But at the same time, you know, he can also use his wrestling and seal the fight off that way. So I think he's got more ways to win. It comes down to you know something that we've talked about in some of the other past fights, which is just don't get caught and you win this fight. So I, I got uh, Curtis Blades as well. Say something else too with that. With what uh, Shaq was saying, that was my, my biggest fear in this fight, is if you watch the film, because I bet on Blades, I put my on Blades, my biggest fear in this fight, though, is the way Blades shoots, um, he kind of goes for those last doubles, and he, he keeps his, he, it really extends his arm, arms, and then he comes up with the clinch. Overing throws incredible knees from the clinch. Um at the face and but mostly at the body and that's scary think about a wrestler coming in the way the blades does because Overeem's knees are incredible in short space like he he creates a lot of energy in a very short knee so that's that's my biggest thing but yeah sorry i just no, I think it's a great point. I mean, we saw the Brock Lesnar fight. That was uh, the last time he fought a super high-caliber wrestler, and the knees were very on point, but that was also a different era of the sport. Uh, he was uh, he was getting his uh, horse meat sent personally from the Netherlands, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I, I think times have changed, but, you know, obviously you guys bring up great points because, you know, the technique is still there for, for that knee. So, you know, we'll see if uh, he's able to pull that off. Now, kicking off the pay-per-view, now, we got an amateur fight. Between Mike Jackson, he's minus 225. The comeback on CM Punk is plus 185. Now, Shaq, it's interesting because CM Punk actually lasted longer with Mickey Gall than Mike Jackson did. Now, I watched some of Mike Jackson's regional fights. Uh, my, my boy Jeremy Holloway gave him a tour of the cage on the regional scene. He's actually been inside a cage before, like, and I'm not just he talking on, about... He was on Fightville. Yeah, he's actually been in real fights before, uh, whereas CM Punk has only been inside the octagon that one time. But that being said, man, uh, I don't think the UFC has any benefit with uh, with Mike Jackson winning this fight. You, th- you think uh, the ref's going to be wearing an earpiece and let Mike Jackson know when to go down? You know, my theory on this fight has always been: Why would you want Mike Jackson to win a UFC fight? What are you going to do with him moving forward? With CM Punk, I mean, you can keep the charade going a little longer. So I think CM Punk's going to win. I'm not saying the fight's fixed, but the fight's fixed. So you know, I think uh, Mike Jackson's uh, going to come out here. You know, probably. Uh, catch him with a punch, but then, you know, flop to his back and, you know, get choked out or something, you know, I just, but if it's a real fight, I mean, I honestly have no clue, I mean, CM Punk, I mean, the sword, the stories I've been hearing uh, aren't so, uh, aren't so good, but I haven't been hearing good things about Mike Jackson either, so, you know, I'm gonna take CM Punk with that underdog. It is what I heard from uh, some of CM Punk's teammates as far as the game plan is concerned because, you know, last time he just charged at Mickey Gall recklessly, got taken down right away, which, you know, it's interesting. I, obviously, you take a win by any means necessary. I thought uh, Mickey Gall could have played with him a little bit, you know, taught him a lesson, but Mickey Gall just, yeah, <laughs> it, it was kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, all that being said, I hear that CM Punk's going to try to be a little bit more relaxed in this one, kind of circle a little bit, and then try to close the distance and try to get him <laughs> down on the mat. We don't know what Mike Jackson's takedown defense is like. We don't know what CM Punk's uh, entries are like. Uh, 
you know, just based on who each guy is and based on who's the pay-per-view seller, I'm going to pick CM Punk. But, I mean, you know, come on now. Chaz, who you got, man? I'm just going to pass on this. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a technical breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you, man. Uh, so next up in the heavyweight division, and this is going to be interesting. We got Tai Tuivasa. He's minus two thirty-five. The comeback on Andre Arlovsky is plus one ninety-five. Now, Chaz, the last three guys that fought Andre Arlovsky, man, you know it's funny because he was coming off a five-fight losing streak, but the last three guys have all kind of fanboyed out for Arlovsky. They're all asking him for autographs in the middle of their fights. Uh, I know you saw the Tibora <laughs> fight. I know you saw the Junior Albini fight, the Stefan Strew fight. I'm like, man, what the fuck is going on? But that being said, Tai Tuivasa, he's a Western Sydney boy. If you know anything about those Western Sydney guys, they don't know who the hell you are. They don't give a shit. He's coming to throw. I don't think he's going to be scared of Arlovsky. But that being said, man, do you think it's enough to get the win here? Um, honestly, I purposely have skipped this fight as far as like giving it any attention or watching the video at all. And the reason is because I don't want to bet it. I don't want to be tempted to bet it. I feel like that Arlovsky can be one of those guys that he can be so technical. And from what I've seen from Ty, I don't know how to say his last name, Ty Lusa, is that how you say it? Yeah, Tuivasa. Tuivasa, Tuivasa. What I've seen from him is um, he's one of those dudes. He's a big athletic guy and, he can come out and he can really flatten anybody. And I do believe that's probably what's going to happen here. We've all seen that Arlovsky's chin is so diminished that really if you, if you put any kind of leather on it, he's going down. Um, but we've also seen that Arlovsky can be a smart game planner. You know, he, he knows where he's at right now in his career. He knows that he has to throw jabs out there. He knows that he has to move. And he knows that he can't get in those barn burner exchanges anymore because he just doesn't have the chin to do it. So I think that Arlovsky is going to come out and try and make it a really, really boring affair. Um, but that being said, I think that uh, Tuivasa is going to flatten him. I think he's going to come out and really just push the, put, get in his face. You know, he's probably going to feel him out, get in his face, throw something heavy and catch him. I mean, I can see that pretty easily. Shaq, you've seen Andre Arlovsky be able to go out there and do the Greg Jackson game plan against his last three opponents. But now it's a different task here with Tai Tuivasa. Who you got? Yeah, you know, Arlovsky's, you know, he's attributed his uh, new success to his new uh, striking coach, Paulino, who's actually the striking coach at Covington. So, you know, he's got that new camp change. But if we're thinking Arlovsky's back, I think uh, everyone needs to calm down a little bit. But, you know, Tuivasa, I like what I've seen from him. But the, the thing is, it's against two complete jobbers, you know, Rashad Coulter and uh, Cyril Asker. It's pretty much a case of assumption, you know. I can assume that he's the real deal and that he's going to come out and smoke Arlovsky, but I haven't seen him what happens when uh, things get tough in there. So have on the regional scene, though. On the regional scene, we saw him against Peter Graham, and uh, Peter Graham made him quit, so, you know, but he was a lot heavier then, and he was a kid, but, hey, it, it happened, you know what I'm saying? So, uh... It's tough to say because Arlovsky, you know, he's got that volume boxing point style. Now he's trying to be a point fighter now, and it's super safe. And he's he's getting these kids to these kids like Junior, these kids like Tybor, these. Shrews uh, under thirty. Uh, yeah, Shrews under thirty. So you know, uh, Tuivasa, man, I, I think he will win, but it, it's really just an assumption. I'm just assuming that he is going to show up because you know his idol ain't Andre Arlovsky. His idol's his idol's Mark Hunt. So I don't think he has any, you know 
fanboyism over Andre. I think he actually does come out here and get the job done. Yeah, uh, you mentioned how his idol is Mark Hunt, and he tries to mimic his game plan around that Mark Hunt style. You know, he's short and stocky for the weight class, very explosive, loves to leap in with that left hook. And one thing I really like about him is that when he gets close, you know, in close quarters, he's very, well, obviously he mixes it up to the body, but he's very good at separating that clinch. His clinch breaks are very, very on point. He knows how to close that distance, get in, get out. And I think the speed could be a huge weapon here against a guy like Arlovsky. And obviously you mentioned the level of competition he's been facing. Obviously, <laughs> Rashad Coulter and the French guy. But he handled them exactly how you're supposed to. He, he, he mm-hmm. fucked them both up. But sometimes he does some young mistakes. He goes for those lateral drops. I'm like, what are you doing, man? And he ends up on his back. I'm like, come on, just just keep it standing, kid. But uh, that being said, if he does the right thing here, because I do think he's paid his dues on the regional scene. He's already taken his first L. He's also taken a couple L's in kickboxing. So he knows, he knows what it's like to not always dominate every single fight i think that's very important for a young fighter so i actually see him coming out here i think it's going to be a left hook ko now next up in the women's bantamweight division we got holly Holmes. she's minus 235 the comeback on megan anderson is plus 195 shaq were you kind of surprised to see a minus 235 next to holly Holmes? you know she is a 500 fighter inside the ufc's octagon well you know i noticed it did open a little lower but you know i, I like holly i respect her as a fighter i think she's had a great career former champion but when i really look at things I see. I put her in that same category as you know a, a Marina Moroz or a, a Kaylin Shukagian. You know what I'm saying? She's a she. Uh, you know she moves like an elite fighter, but I don't think she really inflicts damage like an elite uh, like an elite fighter. I think she you knows she you know has her movement and all, but I don't think she's really landing anything. I think she's just making a bunch of sounds, and I don't think she's really gonna blow out anyone unless she can land like one big head kick. Now I understand Megan Anderson's coming from a long layoff and a different promotion. She's super green. She's been fighting a bunch of soccer moms over there, like Peggy Morgan and and whatnot. But you know, I think she's got potential. She is six foot tall. I mean, she's huge. Six one. Six one. She's bigger than Holly, in my opinion. You give her a year to improve. Who knows how she's going to show up this time? And we're talking about Holly Holm, who continuously fights close with everyone she fights. Now I know she knocked out Betch Correa. But that fight was close up until that point. I think her boxing for MMA is a little overrated, to be honest. I think I've seen chicks outbox her several times. You know, I think uh, if Megan is a little too green, then Holly will scrape it out, scrape it out. But I actually think this this fight should be lying closer. I don't see Holly Holm dominating anyone these days. You know what I'm saying? I think she's had a great career, but she is, you know, getting up there in age. You know, she had she has she did go five rounds with Cyborg, but she took five rounds of Cyborg damage. You know what I'm saying? She took five rounds of Durandamy damage. You know what I'm saying? I think she's gonna start operating at a you know lower and lower frequency. So I'm actually take Megan for the upset. Chaz, uh, it's interesting, man. Uh, we haven't seen Megan inside the UFC's octagon, but you know she's actually a legit 145-pound fighter. Holly Holm, we've seen at bantamweight before. What's your opinion on this one? Yeah, she's a big girl, man. Like she, uh, from what I saw, she walked around 175 or so, and she's, she's cut too. I mean, she's a she's she's a she's big, she's muscular, she's she looks strong. I mean, but Holly, Holly Jack, too, though, you know, she's super strong. Uh, to be honest with you, I can see Holly dancing around a lot, using a lot of footwork and, and pointing it out. Uh, I, I see, you know, I, I think, uh, I hate to say it, because actually I'd love, I'd love to see it go the other way. Honestly, I really would. I just see Holly being a little quicker, having a little better footwork and and really just using that footwork and, and throwing, just, you know, throwing a lot of kicks out there, throwing, a lot, you know, some teeth, throwing, keeping her away from her a little bit. 
throwing some body kicks and uh, and then keeping her jab working and, and kind of pointing it out, not not really even looking for the finish. I I see it kind of being an uneventful decision for Holly. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean when she does win fights, minus the head kicks against Ronda and Betcha, that's t- that's typically how it goes down. You know, I-, I feel like in another life, Holly Holm would have been a pro tennis player with the sounds that she makes. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> as far as this matchup is concerned, with her going up to 145 pounds, we've seen the two times she did inside the UFC's octagon, it didn't go her way, man. And she was getting rocked badly in both those fights. Granted, it was against Cyborg and Durand and me. Megan Anderson is definitely a step down in competition. But look, Megan Anderson is only 28 years old, taking this year off. She's probably improved a lot. Everyone is super confident that Holly Holmes is going to come out here and make a statement. And uh, sometimes when they zig, I got to zag. I'm going to go the opposite way. We'll see. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Who gives a shit? But I'm going to go with Megan Anderson for the upset. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, though. Now, next up, the co-main event of the evening. This is going to be really good. We got Colby Covington. He's minus 130. The comeback on Rafael Dos Anjos is plus 110. Now, uh, Chaz, what are you thinking, man? Because obviously... RDA, he's coming up from lightweight, but he's won his first three fights at welterweight. Now he's fighting for a title again. If he wins this fight, he'll become the first ever Brazilian UFC welterweight champion. But for Colby, uh, minus the Worley Alves fight, I don't believe he's even lost a round in the UFC. Yeah, but, man, his striking sucks. His striking <laughs> does suck. And, you know, his wrestling is good. Dos Anjos is a top-side jiu-jitsu guy. We all know that. Dosanio supplies great pressure. He has he has crisp striking. Um, outside of him getting caught, you know, in that in that uh, Eddie Alvarez fight, you know, it looks he looks to have a solid chin. Man, I just I maybe this is just me hoping. But I think Dos Anjos is going to put him away. Dude, Colby Covington's striking sucks. <laughs> he looks he looks awkward out there. He, he doesn't throw Chris punches. I mean, he even looked, his face looked a little beat up after the uh, Damian Maia fight even. And Damian Maia throws punches like a, like a, like a schoolgirl. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think Dos Anjos does it. I think Dos Anjos puts sweet, sweet justice for the Brazilian fans. Dos Anjos puts him away in the third round. You thinking a a submission or a TKO? TKO. TKO. So, man, it's interesting because I know Colby gets a lot of heat for the first round of the Maya fight. But, you know, when you're fighting a guy like Damian Maya and you're a wrestler, you know, you're not going to go in there and shoot on a guy like like Damian Maya because – Obviously, you don't want to tie up with a guy like that. You see what happens. I mean, unless you're Jake Shields, who, oh, is, yeah. who who's the American Damian Maya. He was the original Damian Maya. He's got a better resume than Damian Maya. So unless you're Jake Shields, you don't go in there and tie up with a guy like Maya. You try to keep the fight standing and uh, and pick him apart or kind of run away like T. Wood did and land some shots. But at least Colby beat his ass. Now, I agree with you as far as the boxing is concerned. Colby's boxing does need a little work. His kicks are definitely better than his punches. Uh, actually, if you've seen some of his past fights, he does have a, you know, I don't want to sit here and say he's got some flashy kicks, but he definitely kicks way better than he punches. I will say that, but obviously the end goal is the wrestling, and we've seen RDA get grinded in the past. And I'm not just talking about the Khabib, the Khabib fight. What about the Glayson Tebow fight? And even even back in the day when uh, when he first started in the UFC. But since that point, obviously he's gotten a lot better. 
And also in the Khabib fight, he did show that, you know, he can attack for, for guillotines and, you know, Colby's been caught in one of those in the past. But, man, he's just too small for Colby Covington, I feel like. And, yeah, size is huge. And I, I feel like if this fight goes the five-round distance, I don't see how RDA can win a decision. It, he, I mean, he's got to have a, a sprawl and brawl clinic for him to win a decision in this spot, and I just don't see that happening. I see him getting taken down over and over again. Now, if somewhere along the way he's able to find a guillotine, he's able to you know maybe keep the fight standing at one point in the third or fourth round, land some shots and accumulate and potentially get Colby out of there, I see that as his only path to victory. I see him only winning this fight via finish. But I'm going to have to go with Colby Covington via the grind, man. I think he's too big for RDA. I think that his cardio is insane. The wrestling's on point. I think he's going to win a five-round decision, Shaq. Yeah, you know, I think uh, when Colby first came into the UFC, he was one of the most hyped guys that I came in, you know, in a while. But then when he lost to Worley, you know, people kind of wrote him off as just, you know, a boring wrestler. And, you know, people can think whatever they want. And, you know, uh, you know, his fight with Maya, I think the, the, the threat of the – his offensive takedown ability wasn't available in that fight, so he had to strike three rounds. You know what I'm saying? So <clears throat> I think in all his other fights, the reason why he didn't lose a round is because he would just get on top of guys and smash them and make them quit. We saw what he did to, you know, a good puncher like Max Griffin, you know, who did just beat Mike Perry, who's got big power in his hands. He avoided the power. Pretty much the same scenario in all his fights. Avoid the power and take this guy down. I think the takedown is going to be here, but I think uh, he's got to watch his neck. I mean, he constantly leaves his neck in in submissions. The Mike Powell fight in the third round, he almost got choked out. The Barbarina fight in the third round, he almost got choked out. He did get choked out against Worley. Um, got judo thrown by Dong Young Kim. But you know what I'm saying? Dong Young Kim's 22-4, and four and he got 30-25 by Colby. Now, of course, RDA is the better striker here. RDA is way more experienced, been in way more higher fights. Uh, higher caliber fights than Kobe, you know, even though I think Kobe's resume at 170 is still solid. I mean, Barbarana's got solid wins. Barbarana beat Worley, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Max Griffin, we see what he's doing now. Dungan Kim's 22 and 4. Damian Maya, you know, I think, uh, you know, Dos Anjos, I actually predicted that he would beat Robbie in that fight. No, I know Robbie's a legend, but, you know, Robbie was coming off coming off the, you know, five-round war after five-round war after five-round war, where I feel like Damian Maia was just coming off of, you know, one little bad fight against Tyron. You know, I know he was coming back too soon, but no one's bloodied him up in that uh, fashion before. But now I think the the wrestling, the offensive wrestling will be here. I think he will avoid the submission. If he doesn't get caught, you know, I think, uh, like you said, I think RDA has to finish this fight to win. I think Kobe, if he makes it the distance, he wins. So I got Kobe by decision. You know, uh, am I confident that he can leave his neck out of the subs? No, I can't because RDA is a, a third-degree black belt, and I think he's got a jiu-jitsu ju- advantage here. But the size plays a factor and the cardio plays a factor, and I think the, the D1 wrestling cardio will uh, outmatch RDA here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you see RDA off his back, obviously that Tarek fight looks super relaxed, but that's Tarek Safadine. You know exactly. what I'm saying? This is Kobe. This is a different pressure. This is a different grind. So it's going to be interesting, man. Disclaimer, I was just kidding about uh, Damian Maia boxing being like a scorer. I actually love Damian Maia. So. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because, you, you know, I do. I love Damian Maia. I love watching him fight. I love his jiu-jitsu. So. <laughs> because, uh, that was a joke. When Damien fought Kamara, you know, he actually landed a couple left hands early because, you know, Kamara's so used to, like, manhandling guys, you know what I'm saying? But it was like one of the – I mean, Kamara can box. He knocked out uh, Serginho, but, you know, he had to, like, box uh, Maya for five rounds. Yeah, and yeah, Kobe had to box him for three yeah, rounds. Exactly, so. 
Kobe put on a takedown defense yeah. clinic but against that just Maya. Shows you, uh, my boy T Wood really is, I guess, the best welterweight in the world because he he boxed Maya. <laughs> Man, social media is going to shut down uh, if Kobe wins this fight. Is all I got to yeah. say. But, uh, oh my god. You know, then uh, we'll get the big fight that everyone wants to see, Colby versus T-Wood. Probably one of the biggest fights in welterweight history. And, I mean, you know, we'll get, uh, we'll get, I mean, I think t- this is what T-Wood needs. T-Wood needs this guy in his career to make him great. So, I like the fight. Yeah, that's a good point because even though he needs the Wonderboy and Maya are incredible, are incredible yeah. fighters, but no one really gave a shit. Those fights were boring <laughs> as fuck. The lead up to a fight yeah, between Colby and, Colby is and like, Woodley would be insane. This is the biggest payday in your career, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like, Colby... Is gonna sell this fight, and you know RDA. I just I think Kobe's got a better chance against T-Wood than RDA. I feel you. Main event of the evening: Robert Whitaker. He's minus two twenty. The comeback on Yoel Romero's plus one eighty. Now the first time they fought, it was forty eight forty seven on all three cards. Yoel won the first two rounds. Rob won the last three rounds. Super close fight. Great fight. It's not often you see number one versus number two in a UFC title fight. It should be that way, but you don't often see it. I mean, the last title fight we saw was, you know, Amanda Nunes versus number five, right? So now we actually get the legit number one and number two guy. Super high-level fight. It's a game of inches, man. Anything could happen. Either guy could get caught. Shaq, I mean, which way are you leaning, man? You know, I, I truly believe that Rob Whitaker is the, the greatest middleweight of all time, and I think he will defend this, but I think Yoel Romero is just the number two, and I just think he's here at the wrong time. I think this is the Rob Whitaker era. Now, of course, you know, in this type of situation, betting-wise, it's dog or pass, but, you know, when you got a guy that's as calm as Rob who, you know, keeps distance and makes sure that he, you know, draws all those energy out, just like he said in his interview just recently, he said, Yo, Well's not built for a marathon, and he's going to take him to a marathon. He's going to make him work. And I think he makes him right. I think Yoel's best bet is to land a punch, of course, just like how he did against Rockhold and just like how he does against all his other opponents. But uh, I just think Rob's just too smart for that. I think he's going to slip the shots in return, and I think uh, he's going to put Yoel away somewhere in that third or fourth round. Chaz, man, I got so many questions about this fight because obviously, you know, we have a rule. Anytime Yoel Romero is dog money, you should probably take a look because uh, his percentage cashing as the underdog is super fucking high. That being said, Robert Whitaker had to pull out of the Luke Rockhold fight due to a mistreated staph infection. We don't know the extent. I, I mean, I don't know shit about that kind of thing, if that's super bad or if that could affect him long term, if he's going to come back the same. Uh, so, and this is also a fight where I feel like Yoel has to make more adjustments than Rob does. Rob kind of has to wait it out the first two rounds then take over when Yoel gasses. But Yoel, you know, if he didn't go to his back in that fifth round, he could have ended up winning the fight. So, man, which way are you leaning and what kind of adjustments do you think both guys need to make? Uh, you know, with, with Romero being a plus 195, I went ahead and threw some money on him. I had to. Uh, I do feel like that Whitaker has the better shot here, the better better chance of, of winning this fight. I think he has the right game plan to beat UL, but here's my take on it. I think UL has a very, very good chance to win this fight, and here's the reason. I think that, uh, you know, the last fight wasn't in that, like, was, they didn't have that long to prepare for that. I think they might have had five or six weeks where they had longer. You know, this fight to prepare for a five-round fight. Six weeks is not a long time. Um, I think Yoel really in the first couple rounds depended on his wrestling pretty heavy. And I think what he's going to do coming out in this fight to keep himself from gassing so hard, I think what he should do is depend on his striking a little more and then use those takedowns to win the rounds, possibly at the end of the round. Uh, maybe, Maybe even try for two. 
in the first round or two in the second round, you know, but really look for those takedowns at the end of the round when it's a close striking battle, a close striking round, get a takedown at the end, seal the round, win the round, and still keep yourself kind of fresh. Don't don't look for those punches and those takedowns the entire round. You know, that's kind of how he gets himself out in the first fight. Um, so I feel like the, he has more room to make improvements in his game plan for this fight. Uh, there are a lot of question marks with Whitaker, considering he had an injury, he came back, he had the staff, he came back and trained again. You know, I, I don't know where he's at. I don't know. He, in the past, has been a cardio machine. He, in the past, has been a great striker, and, and he's got really good get-ups off the ground. I feel like if UL can adjust, and hold him down for periods of time to where he can rest. Yoel has great takedowns, but he has a little bit of an issue with keeping people down. Now, I feel like if he worked on that in his camp, relies on his striking a little bit, gets the takedowns, and when he gets the takedowns, he holds him down for a minute or so in order to, to catch his breath, I think Yoel can stay fresh and really win this fight. I think he's the better athlete. I think he's the more explosive athlete. And uh, I'm, I'm counting on him to cash for dog money. Now, Whitaker, I mean, this is just such a hard one to take because Whitaker's so game. But since I put money on Yoel, i got to go with Yoel, baby. <laughs> I mean, look, anytime Yoel's a dog, like we said, it's always uh, it's never a bad bet to take Yoel at dog money. Uh, the hit rate is over 90%. So, you know, it just is what it is. And, man, I could totally see uh, Yoel coming out here winning and setting up that trilogy because, I mean, these are – like I said earlier, the number one and number two guys, I could see these two fight every single weekend, and I'd be happy just because it's that high level of a fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Yoel has to make some more adjustments than Rob does. But Yoel's the kind of guy that's able to do that kind of thing. You know, I, I, I kind of noticed in the in the uh, Rockhold fight, you know, he wasn't shooting as many takedowns. He kind of tried to keep it standing a little bit more. He was super fresh in that third round. And I know Yoel gets criticized for his cardio a lot, but... <laughs> Man, he's got the most third-round finishes in UFC history. He's known for putting dudes away in that third round, and he kind of lulls guys into this false sense of security. Then he explodes out of nowhere. I love uh, how he fakes those level changes, goes up high, and, uh, man, his flying knees come out of nowhere. He's a freak athlete, but Robert Whitaker, I mean, he's absolutely unbelievable too, and he's only about, what, 28 years old? He's he's 27. He's just a kid, and he's getting better every single time. I'm not kidding when I say that he's got better takedown defense than Jose Aldo. I think that Robert Whitaker might literally have. For for someone that's not a wrestler, I think that Robert Whitaker might have the best takedown defense in the entire UFC for for a striker. It's it's absolutely incredible. And uh, but man, I'm just questioning: Is he going to come back? You know, is he going to be the same guy? Is he going to be a better guy? Is he going to be a diminished guy because of that staff infection? Are we putting too much stock? into that i really don't know i'm not a doctor i have no idea what the long-term effects of that are i just know that the line is a lot wider than it was the first time the first time it was a pick and it kind of played out like a pick i mean it was 48 47 on all three cards just three to two so now when you see the line this wide minus 220 plus 180 you know i'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards the dog here i think that Yoel romero does make the adjustment he, i think he does come out here Puts Robert Whitaker away, sets up the trilogy, and uh, it's going to be one of the best uh, middleweight rivalries. Yeah, go go to Australia. One of the best middleweight rivalries uh, in the history of the sport, man. So I cannot wait to see uh, what goes down. But it also wouldn't surprise me because Robert Whitaker has been making these comments about how 
this is going to be the fight that shows Yoel Romero's age. And I wouldn't be surprised. You know, officially, Yoel's, what, 40-41, but between you and me, uh, you know how those uh, Cuban visas work, and uh, he's more like 50-51, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's one of those things where the age could finally come out in this spot. I mean, we're talking about a 27-year-old versus an alleged uh, 41-year-old, you know, 48. 48, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> it, it's... Uh, eventually Yoel is going to finally, I don't want to say fall off that cliff, but he's going to slow down at some point. I just don't know if this is going to be the spot. At these odds, I'd have to go with Yoel, though. So I am going to pick him, and uh, it sets up the trilogy. I agree, and also I do agree with one other thing. I don't know if Robert Whitaker necessarily has the best takedown defense that I've seen. He has good, he has great takedown defense, but he, he definitely has one of the best get-ups that I've ever seen in the game. I mean, he is just freaking impossible to hold down it seems like uh anytime anybody gets him down to the ground he pops right back up and that's that's very commendable for a striker i mean that's he's working on the right thing so you know he's a smart athlete um you know if he's been able to stay in the gym for a long period of time he probably takes it but i just feel like that his training maybe has been a little bit spotty because of the injuries and because of the staff and and this and that's and, and that's kind of what i'm banking on and you know, Yoel is so explosive that he could end it, you know, with something big at any moment. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. I can't wait. I think those are great points because something that you mentioned earlier on in your breakdown is that Yoel isn't really known for holding people down, and Robert's got an incredible get-up game. So Yoel has to make that adjustment to know, like, look, man, this guy <laughs> springs up like a cat. I need to pace myself better in this spot. And he was having a lot of success standing, too, in the first fight, in the first two rounds. I mean, you saw what he did to uh, Whitaker's knee that first round. It's just uh, he shot – he kind of did what my boy Mirsad did in the in the Elkins fight a little bit. He shot for too many unnecessary takedowns and kind of gassed himself out a little bit. But if he makes an adjustment, which I know an Olympic, an Olympic caliber athlete like Yoel can do, he can come out and win this fight. But Whitaker can also win as well. That's how good of a yeah. fight this truly is, so – Man, um, you know, you have to think that his camp has really worked on him holding him down because, like you said, being an Olympic caliber athlete, his camp has got to know that he has to make those adjustments. And me being somebody who's not as athletic as a lot of guys that I've wrestled throughout my life and a lot of guys that I train with, man, I, I hope that they just told him, if you take him down, like elevate or shelf one of his legs to keep him from popping right back up instantly. You know what I mean? That's the way to do it. you got to keep his head lower than his leg. You get his legs up above his head, guy can't pop right back up like that. You know what I mean? I hope that's what he does. I think it's a really simple adjustment for a wrestler to make, and I think he's going to make it. So, anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm excited about the fight, so I keep, keep uh, throwing input in there. We're probably not necessarily, but... <laughs> No, I mean, it's such a great fight. I mean, I, I, I keep repeating myself, but it's number one versus number two. You don't often see that. So, you know, I'd love to see these guys fight every single weekend. But, Chaz, before we let you go, man, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 225? You know, my fight to watch is going to be Curtis Blades versus Overeem, man. I think Curtis has the chance to be a big star at heavyweight if he can get this win under his belt. And I think uh, if he wins this fight, you know, he'll he'll be right in the mix with Volkov and, you know, those other guys at heavyweight. And I think uh, they need to start promoting my boy Curtis if he wins this fight. Yeah, no, Curtis Blazers Overeem is definitely one of the fights to watch. And I think they have it as the main event of the prelims for a reason. You know, it was it came down to that fight and Holly Holm. We know Holly Holm's going to put everyone to sleep. They're not going to be inclined to buy the pay-per-view. So let's put the heavyweight fight as the main event of the prelims. Get everyone invested. Get them to buy the the pay per view. So, uh, Chaz Kelly, man, what is the fight to watch for UFC two twenty five? 
the fight that I think is going to be a great fight to watch is a fight that we didn't even talk about. I think uh, the Ige fight is going to be the, a fight to watch, and the reason I think so is because I, I'm drawing a blank here on the, the name of the guy he's fighting. I, I don't, Mike Santiago. Watched, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I've watched all the film on it. I just, uh, just drew a blank. Santiago is a, has a great scramble game, and he, I think he's a more slick, a better striker. But Ige is a, a, a grinder of wrestling. that He throws heavy hands himself. I think the Ige is the guy that the, uh, this is going to be the fight to watch. I think the reason is because it's going to be packed full of scrambles. I think these guys are going to be going at it the whole time. I don't think Ige is going to just be able to hold him down like he wants to. I think that uh, it's going to be a scramble fest. And I think it's going to be a super fun fight to watch. So for me, that's the fight to watch, the fighter to watch. Even though I can't stand the guy, Colby Covington has put himself in a position to where he is a must-watch at this point, considering how much everybody hates him and how much he talks. He has to be the fighter to watch on the card. It it pains me to say it, but it's true. So there it is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, those those are some very good picks. For me, the fight to watch is going to be Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Clay Guida because, look, I've never seen... A boring Charles Dubronx fight. I mean, we know the deal. When we were saying our breakdown with Charles Oliveira, it's the same story every time. It's sub or bust. He's either going to tap out Clay Guida or he's going to uh, almost tap out Clay Guida and quit, which he is known for. So I think that there's going to be some serious scrambles in that fight. I think that someone's going to get finished in that fight. I think if it goes to three round distance, it's going to be a, a serious, serious fight. Uh, I cannot wait for that one. Charles Dubronx versus Clay Guida is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 225? You know, my fighter to watch is going to be Mursad Bektik, man. I think, uh, you know, he's got one of the highest ceilings at 145, and I think if he gets this one over Lamas, that's a, a legend under his belt, and he moves on to bigger and better things at 145. Yeah, definitely someone to look out for, especially after ever since he made that move to TriStar. I want to see the kind of improvements that a kid like that will make. For me, the fighter to watch is Yoel Romero, because like we were talking about in our breakdown, man, and we went on forever about it, what kind of adjustments is this guy going to make coming in here against a world beater against someone who's never lost at middleweight against the reigning defending champ, Robert Whitaker. And it's going to really let us know where both guys stand. If Yoel wins, it sets up the trilogy. Yoel Romero is my fighter to watch. Chaz, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, the fans can follow you at Chaz Skelly. Chaz, any uh, message for them? And let us know when you're coming back, man. Yeah, I hope to be back, you know, at the end of summer. I mean, I've, I've uh, talked to Sean Shelby. I told him, you know, uh, August, September would be great for me. So, no, guys, just follow me, you know, Twitter, Instagram. I'm always trying to throw stupid shit out there. So give me a follow, and uh, I'll chat it up with you on Twitter if you want. Awesome, Chaz. Thanks again for the time, man, and have a great day. Thank you guys so much. I always enjoy being on. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon. All right. Later. Well, Shaq, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle? How's it going? Hey, good, man. I'm real pumped for this card. Uh, a lot of big money to be won, and I can't wait to win it. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of big money to be won, I, I heard they, uh, I heard DraftKings flew out my boy Big Marley to the Reds game recently. How was that? Yeah, it was cool. They uh, hooked us up with a suite. There were a couple Bengals players there. We had a lot of free food, a lot of free beer. Uh, my type of party. So, yeah, it was fun. I, I'll always take those anytime they offer them. Man, isn't it, isn't it nice when that hard work pays off? Yeah, for sure, no doubt. A sports book never, never takes me to places like this, so that's why I, I love DraftKings. Well, maybe if you start losing, they will. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know what I mean? Because they can't, they can't be celebrating guys that beat them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in Vegas, that, then they would offer it. But not here in Indiana. No sports books ever offered me anything. Yet, yeah. Just wait till now that uh, they're about to legalize it everywhere. Just, uh, just be on the lookout. You know what I'm saying? But Kyle, look, man. This main event between Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero, it's absolutely incredible. The first time around, it was a pick em. This time, uh, Robert's over 2-1 to one favorite. So which way are you leaning? Um, so this one, I like Whitaker. He's my pick to win. But I think the better play on DraftKings is Romero. Um, Whitaker's 9,100. So for him to pay that off, he's going to need a knockout. Um, a decision with just striking only, it's not going to get there. Uh, and in their first fight, he only scored 70 points. So if that happens again, I don't want 70 points for 9,100. So I'm going to be a little light on him. Uh, I, I can't see him getting the knockout, so I'm not going to fade him. But I'm going to actually have more exposure to uh, Romero because he's only 7,100, and you have to have the dogs. And he's so cheap that it just makes it so easy to build your lineups if you put him in there. So I like him quite a bit, but he is going to be chalky. I think he's going to be maybe even the chalkiest guy on the card, for sure the most chalky underdog. Uh, but I'm probably going to be right along with the field. And I'm going to have more Romero than I'm going to have Whitaker, but the problem is I'm picking Whitaker to win. So uh, I'm not. I'm definitely not going to be going all in. I'm going to have a little bit of both these guys. But Romero, if I was making one lineup, Romero would be in it. So when we talk about DraftKings, you know, we like our finishers and our wrestlers. And this co-main event matchup between Colby Covington and Rafael Dos Anjos, we got a finisher in Rafael Dos Anjos versus a wrestler in Colby Covington. So the winner of this fight is going to score you a lot of points. Now, I know for a fact that my boy Colby, when he starts adding up those takedowns, uh, he can go out there and win you a tournament. But if he dives into a guillotine like he did against Worley, Rafael is probably going to win you that tournament. So which way are you leaning? And uh, are you going to make lineups with both guys? Yeah, I'll have a couple of both guys, but I'm going to have more Colby. Uh, I just think the takedowns are really what I want. I think he'll be able to get them. I'm worried about him getting them for five rounds, though. Uh, I could see RDA maybe having the better gas tank. I, I mean, I'm nervous. I'm definitely not going to be going all in on Colby or anything. I just think he has a, a better path to victory and a better path to DraftKings points with the takedowns. So I'm going to have more of him, and we have line value now. He's cheaper on DraftKings, but he's the favorite on the betting line. So I always like that as well. So, again, if I was making one lineup, I'd probably have Colby on it. Um, this is a solid stack in cash fight if you want to. Uh, but I'm not going to be a one-lineup guy. I'll have at least like 20. So I'll have a, a couple RDAs as well. But, yeah, Colby's my pick here. And I think he'll get it done by wrestling. So from a DraftKings perspective, in your opinion, is this Holm versus Megan Anderson fight, is it a dogger pass situation? The reason I ask is because I would assume – that Holly Holm doesn't often uh, pay off uh, her price tags, you know, unless uh, she's fighting Ronda Rousey. Yeah, uh, for me, it's definitely a dogger pass. Uh, Holm will need a knockout to pay off her value, uh, her price tag, that's for sure. Uh, she just does not strike at a high enough pace. And then her inside distance line is plus 500, so she's really not likely to get that knockout. Uh, I, I just can't. I'm probably going to be a full fade on Holm. Uh, I might ride her up as my fade of the week. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm not interested in that. She's going to have to get that knocked out. She's not going to go for any takedowns. She's going to dance around the cage a lot. None of that scores points. Uh, and I also think Megan Anderson's going to be pushing her against the cage and trying to make it a little dirtier of a fight, maybe try to get it to the ground. So it's definitely dog or pass or fade. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's Megan or fade for me.
So Tai Tuivasa is taking on Andre Arlovsky, and you know the last three guys that fought Arlovsky, they all fanboyed out for him. I don't think Tai Tuivasa is that kind of guy. I actually like him as uh, one of the favorites to go in my DraftKings lineup. I think he gets it done via knockout. What's your opinion? Yeah, Tuivasa is a savage. Uh, his inside distance line is minus one fifty-five, so that right there, I love. Uh, he can be played, and I think he's a better GPP player just because these are heavyweights, uh, and. He technically has a floor of zero if he gets knocked out early. Uh, so I'm going to have a couple of Arlovskis as well. But yeah, I like Ty quite a bit here, and I think he does get it done by knockout. So I'll have a couple, quite a few, I mean, GPP lineups with him. He's one of my favorite guys on the card. So the first fight of the main card is actually an amateur fight between CM Punk and Mike Jackson. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you think a lot of people are going to have either guy in their lineups? You think people are going to be fading this fight? Like, What do you think the ownership's going to be on either guy? I mean, I have no idea. I'm usually pretty good at judging ownership, but I have no idea on this fight. I'm thinking Mike Jackson will probably be pretty low owned, maybe 10 to 15% owned. But the name CM Punk and being a dog, it'll gain him some ownership. So I, I just can't really judge how much, how popular is he. How many people are going to tune into this and play DraftKings just because he's on it? I, don't, I have no idea. Uh, I don't watch that wrestling shit at all, so... <laughs> I don't really know what they're thinking. So, I, I don't know. I think if I was going to have one of these guys, it's going to be a CM Punk. Just because I think he's going to try and get it to the ground. Maybe get a rear naked choke. It's in Chicago. The UFC wants him to win. Uh, so, I'll just take those. I'll save the money. Take me some CM Punk. Because if Jackson, <clears throat> he's going to need to get a knockout. Which, he definitely could. I mean, CM Punk is not very good. This fight just sucks so much. I mean, I really hate that I even have to put these guys in my lineup, but it is, it is an amateur fight, and that's where a lot of the mistakes are made. That's what you want to target against, are the mistakes. So I'm going to end up having both these guys on lineups as much as it sucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch that fake wrestling shit either. I mean, I'm not 12 years old anymore, you know what I'm saying, Kyle? But look, <laughs> this heavyweight matchup between Alistair Overeem and Curtis Blades, I mean, you got a guy on the come up in Blades. You don't often see heavyweights in their 20s. He's still in his 20s. He's taking on Overeem, who, I mean... I want to talk about that in Ganu KO, but it seems like every time Overeem gets knocked the fuck out, he seems to come back and win fights, but Curtis is on the come up. Who you got? Uh, I like Blades in this one. I just think if he can use his wrestling, he's got a pretty solid ceiling here, and he can get a knockout as well, but I'm nervous because he, he could get knocked out in the first round. Overeem's still a scary dude. He just can't take a punch like he used to. So it's going to be another one where I'm taking both sides. Like if I need to, if this is my last pick or something. I do want this in the majority of my lineups, I think. Uh, so this could be one of those if I have money to spend. I'm just going to go ahead and put Blades in there. But if I have a lot of money on the table then uh, and I need a dog, or I mean if, if I need a dog, I'm just going to throw over him because he could get you 100 points at 7,700. So I'm going to have a couple lineups, but Blades is the pick, and I think he could get over 100 points at just 8,500. If that happens, you're almost going to need them to be on your team. But this, this is going to be a good one. These big boys, you never really know what's going to happen, but I think it'll score high either way. So I was uh, kind of surprised to see Claudia Gadelia as big of a favorite as she is. I'm not surprised she's the favorite. She's the rightful favorite. Don't get me wrong. She's the way more physical fighter. I was just not expecting a minus 600 odds. So with that being said, do you see any value in Carla? The reason I ask is because on her best day, she is able to score some takedowns. I think the value on Carla would be cash games. Make her your cash game punt. Uh, take the loss there with the cheapest fighter on the card. And then you could pay up for five other more expensive people. So I like her more in cash games than I like her in GPPs. 
Uh, but on the other end, I probably like Gadelia more in GPPs because not a lot of people are going to be targeting her with Tuivasa cheaper. They're going to just go ahead and save that 200 bucks, put Tuivasa in their lineup, hope to get the knockout, and that's going to take away from Claudia's ownership. So for that reason alone, I like her in GPPs. I don't. I think uh, if I was making a cash lineup with one of these two, though, it would be Esparza. And just to hope that she would get three rounds worth of points, really. But I don't see her winning. So before I let you go, man, there's these two matchups that you know, I think there's going to be a finish in at least one of them, and I'm talking about Chris De La Roca versus Rashad Coulter and Dan Ige versus Mike Santiago. Do you have an opinion on either of those two? Uh, man, Santiago-Ige fight is interesting. Man, I, I really am having a hard time getting a lean on that fight, so it's kind of making me want to fade it in my rough draft builds just because I don't know who I like to win. But I think if you do have a pretty good lean on it, it could be a good fight to use just because there could be a lot of stand-up and takedowns in this, and they're going to mix in just the whole MMA aspect of it. So I still got to uh, do some more film on this. Hopefully I can see something I haven't seen yet uh, and put someone in my lineup. Uh, but who's, who's the other one you asked about? Uh, De La Roca and Coulter. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> Someone's going to go down in that one, right? Exactly. That's going to be a first-round knockout. It's another one like Punk and Jackson where – it sucks putting either one of these guys in your lineup, but you almost have to because I can see the winning lineup having both those fights in it. Uh, so, yeah, as much as it hurts to do it, whatever fits, just throw them in your lineup is, is what I think. That's more uh, of the last pick in my lineup kind of thing. My pick, though, is Coulter. Uh, the size, though, will be on De La Rocha's advantage, so that scares me. I'll have both and just hope that it is a one-punch knockout and we don't have to see these guys fight for three rounds because that will be miserable. <laughs> well, Kyle, that is why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Always appreciate the hard-hitting analysis, my man. I know the fans do too. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. Kyle, any message for them? Good luck. Uh, chase those big prizes this week. we got a new qualifier, so I'll be chasing that one. Yes, sir. Kyle, we'll speak uh, in two weeks. All right, man. Sounds good. Good luck this weekend. Likewise, man. Have a good one. Once again, Kyle Marley killing it with the DraftKings advice. You know, DraftKings actually flew him out to Cincinnati for the Reds game, you know, giving him the treatment, giving him the free merch, doing the whole bit. So shout out to my boy Marley. Well, Shaq, uh, it's going down this Saturday, UFC 225. Max Bet season continues. As you know, undefeated on Max Bets, consensus Max Bets, in 2018, the last three events we've had four max bets in a row come through in cash and now we're ma- we're trying to make it uh, the fifth in a row yeah and that continues this weekend you know we got max bet going down there in the great city of chicago and you know it's a great card and when we say max bet season it's time to get the money it's time to stop hesitating and you know stop letting this easy money slide past your face you know we're the ones that are the best at recognizing the easy mismatch fights and that's what we're doing this weekend and uh I hope everyone uh, emails us at bestfightpicks at gmail.com and hops on board because it's time to stop playing games. It's time to look yourself in the mirror and uh, become a winner. Yeah, you know, and uh, we're building bankrolls one bet at a time. You know, Colby wants to make the welterweight division great again, and we want to make your bankroll great again. So go to bestfightpicks.com and sign up today because long-term, we always get the job done. But the, the, the uproar if uh, Colby Covington wins this fight, I mean, bro, that would be some legendary shit if he actually, you know, talks all this shit and actually gets the belt. <laughs> oh, man, you said he's going to take that belt to the Oval Office. <laughs>
My boy Kobe's hilarious. Bro, he gets he gets you know more uh fucking crazier and crazier. So, uh, man, we hopefully the charade can keep going. Well, after this max bet cashes in Chicago, you know we'll be able to buy some uh, stuffed crust pizza with our, our deep dish pizza. That's the Chicago style with, with our winnings and uh you know just to, just take care of biz. So make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 5 Follow our Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five star reviews on iTunes. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.